Uh, Wednesday nights, we're in our Bible study again. We're still studying uh, the end times, Revelations, with uh, uh, Stephen Armstrong. And we've got a few more weeks of that, and it's been really in a good study. It's deep. Um, it makes you think. But like I said on Wednesday when we were talking about it, you don't have to get every detail. But it is important to understand the urgency of the hour. We are in the last days, folks. I firmly believe that. And, uh, and for Donnie, unexpectedly, a heart attack, that's your last day, right? And that little boy at 12 years old, that was his last day. He didn't think about it. When he got up that morning, he had no idea it was going to be his last day. But it is. It was. And so we're living in the last days, whether you know it or not, your personal last days potentially or for certainly the, the church last days. And, and here's the thing. Rather than looking at it as a, it's not a negative thing, by the way. It's a very positive thing because when we talk about the end, we're really talking about the beginning, we're, 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 at the, we're close to the beginning of eternal life. We're, we're close to the beginning of all God has in store for us, of all eternity. This is great, but heaven is grand. What he has in store for us is so much better than what we can ever imagine in this life. So don't look at the end as a negative. Look at it as the, an encouragement of the beginning. Because we're close. We're close. So this morning we want to continue on our discussion on the parables. If you have your Bible... Uh, turn to chapter 22 of Matthew. That's where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 22. And we're talking about the parable of the wedding banquet. This and many other parables that Jesus spoke, especially in his last week of his ministry, his last week of his life, he was speaking to the Jewish leaders and primarily to the Jewish people in his attempts to convince them of his deity and the fact that he was the Messiah. He was the promised Messiah that all the Old Testament prophets in the past, which they knew about, he was the promised Messiah. But yet, in their stubborn blindness and deception that the enemy brought to them, they rejected Christ over and over again. You see, they had a, they had a very established religion. And... You know, established things aren't all bad as long as you don't worship the establishment. <laughs> they had a problem, the Jewish leaders had a problem in that they worshipped their own establishment because their establishment brought them great power. It brought them great authority and great finances. You know, the old thing is follow the money. Well, they could have followed the money back in that day too and they would have seen that it went to a corrupt religious organization. And so Jesus was trying to break through that. He was trying to break through that, that barrier with the religious leaders and trying to get them to understand. But what we're going to find out about in this parable is, is that it wasn't that they couldn't. It was that they wouldn't embrace him. And that's what we're going to find is so prevalent in this parable today. It's because they wouldn't receive Jesus. And for that fact, Jesus then expanded his ministry to the Gentiles. Now, he would have gotten to us sooner or later anyways, but the Jewish people were and still are his chosen people. And so that's why we pray for the peace of Israel. That's why we pray for Jerusalem today. Because they are his chosen people. And we, the church, the Gentile church, is grafted into the Jewish organization. We have not replaced the Jewish church at all or the Jewish nation, we haven't replaced them. We've been grafted into them. But we pray for the Jews because they are special in God's eyes. So this parable, I believe, is relevant for us today. So if you would, stand with me 
And let's read this parable. It's relatively lengthy, 14 verses. And uh, so read it with me. Beginning in Matthew chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went on their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious. He sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. Verse 10. So the servants brought in everyone who they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called and few are chosen. Let's pray. Father, help us with this parable. There is a lot of truth in this. Help us in the next few minutes that we can get through the important parts, the things that we can take away from. And I pray you bless us. You you prepare our our hearts to hear and open our ears to to hear what you would have us to hear and, and, and know. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So in this parable, Jesus is giving a picture. He's given a, a picture of God's perspective of his kingdom and those that would and wouldn't be included in it. It said the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. In this parable, God is the king and Jesus is the son. Jesus is the bridegroom, and all of humanity is invited to the bride. And even though the bride was initially intended to be the Jewish people, we see that by their rejection of Jesus as Messiah, that God opens the invitation to all people. And thank God that he did. Amen. Isn't that awesome that God would invite us? We've been worshiping and we've been singing about the creator of all things and how he loves us and he has chosen us before the foundation of the world because he wants a relationship. He doesn't just want a religious establishment. No, he wants a relationship with you. I find that to be pretty amazing. I find that to be pretty powerful that God wants a relationship with me. Man. It's pretty cool. I know a lot of people that don't want a relationship with me. <laughs> but God wants one with me. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I'll take God any day, right? So to properly understand this, we need to understand more of the Jewish wedding traditions, which are significantly different than our westernized concepts of marriage and, and weddings. See, in the Jewish society, the parents of the betrothed generally drew up a marriage covenant. Many times it was an arranged marriage. 
Many times they didn't know who each other were until God, until the parents said, hey, guess who you're marrying? And uh, so they would do that. And so the bride and the groom would, would meet, perhaps for the first time, and the contract would be signed. And at this point, the couple was considered married, but yet they would be separated for a period of time, maybe upwards of a year or more, until the actual time of the ceremony. The bride would remain with her parents, and the groom would leave at that point, leave her, and go normally back to the father's house to prepare the place where they would live, and also to prepare the feast, prepare the banquet. And this could take a long time. And the bride had no idea. In fact, the groom had no idea when the father would say, go get your bride. He just went home and prepared the place for them to live. When it was time, the marriage ceremony would finally take place and the wedding banquet would follow. Does this sound at all familiar to any other scripture in the Bible maybe that you've read in the past? How about this one? How about John 14, 1 through 3? Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I would going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus is telling us that we are the bride and he is the bridegroom. And he's gone ahead to prepare a place that we will eventually spend with him for all, for all eternity. I was just talking to Tom earlier about building homes. <laughs> Normally, we can build a home in about six months. Today, about two years, <laughs> if you're lucky, right? And if we can prepare a home for ourselves in six months or two years, that's a nice home. Imagine how much nicer the home is going to be that Jesus is preparing for us that's taken 2,000 years. And it's not because he's, there's a labor shortage in heaven. <laughs> it's not because he can't get the supplies necessary. It's because he has a purpose and he has a plan and he wants to bless his bride. <laughs> it's amazing. So in this parable, we see God the Father and Jesus the Son and they're making an invitation to all those that would come to the wedding banquet. So the first half of this banquet, of this parable, is dealing with those who would not come. The first seven verses or so of this parable talk about those that will reject the message. It says in verse 3, When the ban banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. You see, the invitation to the banquet was given well in advance. They had no excuse. They had no reason why they couldn't have put it on their busy social calendar to be there when the wedding banquet finally happened. They knew this couple was getting married a year ago. They knew the wedding banquet was going to happen, and they were invited then. So they had no reason to not put it in their schedule. The guests to this major feast were invited in advance and notified then later, reminded them by the prophets that this feast was going to be and they were invited to come to it, but they persistently refused. God used many godly prophets, Old, New Test Old and New Testament prophets alike, to proclaim the intention of God sending his son Jesus 
to be the promised Messiah. And the most notable and the most recent one that they could remember or know about would be John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. The Jewish leaders knew what he was talking about. They just rejected it. John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and then skipping down to verse 11, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was, who, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He came to that which was his own, to his Jewish people, but his own did not receive him. The invitation was clearly given to them that Jesus was the Messiah. The bridegroom was on his way. Get prepared to receive him. The wedding feast is coming, but they rejected. Verse 4 says, Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. You see, the king not only graciously invited them in the first place, but he repeatedly invited them. And now he goes on to describe the bounty, the, the grandness of the wedding banquet to try to, to provide more incentives. He was giving, he was describing the food and all the trappings that a wedding banquet would provide to entice them that they should attend. At no cost to them, come, enjoy the feast of the banquet. But even then, they continued to ignore the invitation. I believe the next point I'm going to make is the major point of the, of the parable. The unique element of this parable is the willful refusal of those who were invited. Listen, it was not that they couldn't come to the banquet. It was that they wouldn't come to the banquet. Let me say that again. Everyone that was invited had every opportunity to come to the banquet. No one was kept away from it. No one, it wasn't that they couldn't come to the banquet. It was that they wouldn't come to the banquet. Verse 5 says, they paid no attention to the servants that had invited them. And the people went about their own business and ignored the re repeated invitation. Now verse 6 gets a little even worse because now it turns violent. Because some of those that were invited treated the king's messengers with outrage and physical aggression. Verse 6 says, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. You see, not only did they ignore the invitation of the Father, they abused the messengers. They killed the messenger. How many times do we know that bad news is not always easy to bring? And many times, not just bad news, how about the truth? And how many times do people kill the messenger? It's not my truth, it's not your truth. If you're, if you're preaching the Bible, we're, we're preaching the truth of God's word. 
But yet, how many times does the messenger get abused? Hmm. You see, if the invited guest felt that way towards the servants, they obviously felt that way toward the king. If they could have seized the king, they would have treated him just as they treated the servants. They wouldn't come to the banquet because they actually despised the king. In fact, they actually ended up killing the king's son later. But this is very similar to the parable of the talents. Remember, we spoke about this a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 19. In the parable of the talents at, uh, given in 19 uh, of Luke, uh, verse 14, it says, But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. So the problem with humanity is not that we can't. It's that we won't primarily because we have to speak the words, we hate the king. We hate him. You may not look at it that way, but we hate him. We'll come back to that a little bit more. Stephen, in his speech to the Sanhedrin, he brings this point front and center to the Jewish leaders. Acts chapter 7, 51 through 52, it says, this is Stephen speaking. He says, you stubborn people. He's, he's speaking to the, to the Sanhedrin. He's speaking to the Jewish leaders of his day. Stephen was not even a disciple. He was chosen to be a deacon, if you will. He was a, he was a board member. <laughs> he, he was a deacon to the new church, early church, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said before he was martyred because this got him killed. He says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. So let me ask this question. Does this attitude still exist today? You see, today, we're not inclined to kill, physically kill the prophets. But if we're honest with ourselves, we'll have to admit that the same spirit is still among us. Instead of physically killing the prophets, we cancel them. Cancel culture. Right? We reject them because they're being too radical or they're being too extreme in their requirements of what it takes to be a follower of Christ. God doesn't really require all that. All he says is that I'm supposed to just speak a few words and he'll accept me because he's a gracious God, a loving God. He would never send me to hell. He would never refuse me. And, and the reality is he, that's true. That's a true statement. But if that's where we stop, we're missing the point because we really haven't put on the wedding garment clothes yet, and we'll get to that in a minute, as to what that really means. Today, people ignore the truth of God's holy word and decide to settle on one that more fits their lifestyle of compromise. They can't handle the truth, so they will be like the Jewish leaders and figure out their own religion system, the one that they can control. 
one that they can have power through, one that they can be comfortable in. Hmm. There's a word we don't like, or a word that we like, but we don't like what it means when we're not comfortable. See, if I have to be comfortable in my religion before I can accept it, I would ask you to question your religion. If I have to be able to understand it all, if I have to be able to accept it on my terms, that's kind of like saying that God is not much bigger than I am. No, the Bible says we come to Christ through faith. Through faith. That means we may not understand everything, but we have faith in the truth of God's word that we accept Christ by faith. And faith alone. So those that were invited of that day and even today, even though we may not openly express our hatred of God, and they made excuses as to why they really couldn't be there to receive him. You see, that in itself proves hatred. Listen, listen, listen to the way God sees things. God sees the heart. He sees my attitudes. He sees my intentions. And then he sees my actions. The proof that the power of choice, listen, the power of choice proves love. The power of choice proves love. Receive and obey proves you love. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And if you obey me, the Father will love you, and he'll come down and abide with you. That's what he says. So if you receive and obey Christ, you're proving you're loving Christ. If you reject and disobey, that proves that you hate Christ. And you hate his father. I know these are hard words, folks, but we have to see it this way because that's the way God sees it. That's the way he sees our life. He says, you either choose and obey me, which proves that you love me, and if you reject me, if you choose your own way, what that really says is you hate me because there is no lukewarmness with God. He does not accept that. In Revelation, it says, if you're lukewarm, I spit you, I vomit you out of my mouth because I only, I'm, I'm only interested in those that truly love me and will truly obey me and will give their life to me without abandon, without having it their way, without having their comfort zone. It's okay that we're direct because this is the truth. You see, in Luke, Jesus gave a a similar parable. And here are some of the excuses that the people gave he went into a little more detail on the type of, the, of excuses. And I think this is important because I think we can associate with this a little bit more. Luke chapter 14 says in verse 18 through 20, it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought a five yoke of oxen and I'm on, and I'm on my way to try them out. Or I just bought a new motorhome. I bought a new boat. Please give me, i got to go play my boat, God. Okay? Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Nonsense. Christ would accept your bride, too. (laughs) Bring your whole family. Just because you're married, that doesn't mean you shouldn't come. Right? See, none of these are legitimate reasons. They are simply excuses that are flimsy. 
in addition to all this, this, this was not the first time they were invited. They knew well in advance that the king's son was going to be married, and they had all the time in the world to make this their priority, to put this in their schedule and let nothing get in the way. And the, the reality is, how many times do you buy five oxen or a motorhome without ever seeing it first? It's not like they've never seen these oxen before and he had to go check them out. No, he knew what he, was, he, knew what he bought. It was just an excuse. He didn't have to go examine them or the same thing about a field or anything else of that nature. It's very obvious here that they were making excuses that were flimsy and they were rejecting the invitation. Those are the people who weren't there. So now let's talk about those who came to the wedding feast. Verse 8 says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not receive to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Luke says it this way in verse 14, or chapter 14, 21. He says, Go out quickly. Haste, make haste, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. You see, his king sends his servants wherever he could find people. He wasn't picky about just find the right people, get the ones that look good. No, he says, get them all. Invite them all to come into the banquet. You see, God is no respecter of persons. He first invited the Jews and the religious leaders, and they refused. See, in our human thinking, we would think that God is really only concerned about those that are worthy, only concerned about the ones that dress right, the good people, the ones with money, the ones that can, have a, that can give to the kingdom, the ones that have value, the influential ones the ones that you know would have power and the elite but when they rejected the message on earth christ's message wasn't wasted because god went to all people and he wasn't just trying to fill the seats either he really loved all the people he loved the crippled he loves the lame he loves the down and out god is not honored or dishonored by man's ranking or status in life according to our standards. Hmm. That's pretty amazing that God loves us that way. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1, 26 and 30, he says, Remember, dear children, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Amen. Thank the Lord for that, because I wouldn't want to be in heaven with a bunch of boasters. Could you imagine living eternity with a bunch of braggers? Man, if you could have saw what I did, over and over and over, the same stories. Oh, it'd be terrible. <laughs> but thank the Lord he saves us by grace that we can't boast about it. Amen? 
Charles Spurgeon preached on this parable seven different occasions. And this is what he said, just a short version of what he said about this. He said, the persons who came to the wedding banquet were more grateful than the first invited if they had come. The rich man has a good dinner every day and would have said, thank you for nothing. Whereas the beggars picked off the streets, welcomed the feast. The joy they expressed that day was much more than had the others had come. The rich and high class of the first invited, if they would have come to the banquet, would have seated themselves in a very stiff and a proper manner. But these beggars would come and they would make merry clatter. They are not muzzled by propriety. Rather, they are glad for every dish. You know, isn't it? And that's why we have celebration in our churches. That's why when you have worship, it's okay to clap your hands and raise your hands and dance a little bit if you want to dance because we've been saved from so much that we're to be thankful for God's grace and his mercy that he saved us. We're to marry in that. Revel in it. Enjoy it. Spurgeon goes on to say, Dear friends, when the Lord saved us by his grace, it was no common event. When he brought us great sinners to his feet, us great sinners to his feet, and washed us and clothed us and fed us and made us his own, it was a wonder to be talked of forever and ever. That's, what we're, that's the story we're going to hear when we get to heaven, the testimony of God's grace. It's not going to be about me. It's going to be about Jesus. But all he did for me, and I'll never tire of those stories, will you? Yeah, that's what it's about. So at this point, the parable seems to be over. But it's not. And neither is my message. <laughs> Jesus goes on to give a much-needed warning in the account of the man who comes into the banquet not clothed in proper wedding garments. Now this is important. This may seem a little confusing, so stay with me. This is important. He goes on to say in verse 11, But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You see, we may think that because God sent his servants out to the world, that everyone would come in, would come in justified on the fact that they were not the upper class. This is important because just as God is no respecter of persons that are rich and in need of nothing, he's also no respecter of persons that are poor and disadvantaged. In other words, all people have to come to the saving grace of Jesus on the same merit. There is nothing about their personhood that gets them saved. Their personal need of salvation is through the blood of Christ alone. See, the poor man could take the approach that because he is poor and needy, that God owes him something. Hmm? Entitlement? You ever heard of that word? Have we entitled people at all in our world, in our country? So do you think how people could see how they could be entitled to come in God? Because, God, I'm, I don't have what everybody else has, so woe is me. You owe me something, God. Therefore, when I come into the kingdom, I'm going to be special because I'm poor. Now listen, I'm not speaking negatively about poor people. And I'm not speaking negatively about rich people. I'm speaking about people. <laughs> I'm speaking about our human nature. 
You see, if the poor man comes with that kind of an attitude, then what he's doing is that he's making his basis of salvation one of works rather than one on grace. No, I'm not doing all these great things, God, but I deserve to be there because I'm poor. A poor person is no more spiritual than a rich person could be. They're equal, equal playing fields, and we have to get out of this mentality that some are better than others, and because others don't have what the wretch have, that we owe them something differently. Again, this is not saying we don't take care of the poor. It's not saying we don't take care of those that are downtrodden, but we have to take responsibility for ourselves too. You can't help a person that doesn't want to be helped. And I know that there are people in our world that don't want to be helped. They want to be taken care of. Just take care of my needs. I don't really want to work, but feed me. See, we need to speak truth to people. The truth is we need to take care of ourselves. And when you're downtrodden, when you're hurt, I know you're hurt and we'll take care of you. If you're hurt, go to the hospital. The church is a hospital. I get that. But you don't take advantage of the hospital. You don't take advantage of the church. There's a whole other message there. So the king comes to the into the banquet, and he sees this man not dressed in his clothes like this, and he says, how dare you to come into my wedding feast not properly attired? And the king has this man bound like a criminal and thrown into utter darkness. You see, this man didn't properly prepare himself by putting on the clothing that the king had provided, and thus he was cast out to be punished as he deserved because he didn't accept the invitation that the king had given him. Now, this seems like a pretty serious consequence for not having the right clothes on. So we need to understand what this means. There's something more significant here than just being clothed. We need to understand more about the Jewish culture. You see, in that time, the daily clothing people had was simple and typically dirty and often worn and torn. So the clothing for a formal occasion was distinguished from daily clothing by being clean and in good repair. And most of these people couldn't go to Hudson's or Sears. Does Sears exist? Hudson's or, or you know, go to the Goodwill, you know, to get new clothes. They, they had what they had, and sometimes that's all they had. These guests were from many walks of life. Some were very poor. So the king went the extra step of providing new, clean clothes to all he invited as a condition of their acceptance of his invitation. You accept the invitation, you put on my clothes. I'm giving them to you free of charge, but you must put them on. But this man showed up that day wearing his dirty daily work clothes, which means he never properly accepted the invitation of the king. He decided to go to the party on his own. He snuck in the back door some way, thinking that I could get there on my own accord. I don't need to accept the invitation of the king. I don't need his clothes. I'm fine the way I am. I'm going to the banquet. What's so significant about a wedding garment? What's so significant about the clothes? Turn to Revelation chapter 19. And from this, we'll see the significance. 
Revelations 19, 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Galatians 3, 26 and 7, 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. We put on the garments of righteousness so that when Jesus looks at us, when God looks at us from heaven, he doesn't see my brokenness. He doesn't see my sin anymore, my ugliness. After I've come into Christ, what he sees is the blood of Jesus on me. I have new clothes And that's the righteousness that God sees, and that's the righteousness that was required to come to the wedding banquet. So when we place our faith in Christ, we merely clothe ourselves with God's righteous mercy. And that's literally what happens for us. And that's the way we appear to God. And if we try to sneak our way into his kingdom, we stick out like a sore thumb because God sees our ugliness. He sees our self-righteousness. And to him, That's ugly, and it's not the wedding clothes. And for that reason, the man's thrown out. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me here at all? Does that make sense? So this parable says that when the man was confronted by the king about wearing the appropriate clothing, he knew he was in trouble. (laughs) He knew he was found out. But it says that, that the man was speechless. He had no excuse. The fact the man was speechless is a very important point because that is the same thought that Paul expresses in Romans chapter 3.19. It says, obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. There is not an excuse that's going to be good enough that if I don't put on the wedding clothes, that I can, when I, get, when I see God face to face, that he's going to say, yep, I'll accept that excuse. Yep, you couldn't have done it, could you? No. Donald Gray Barnhouse. I wasn't familiar with this man until this week, but I like what he said. He was born in 1895, died in 1960. And when he, when he talks to a Christian or a would-be Christian at this point, he, he came up with this line of thinking. And I, kinda, I think it's interesting, so I want to share it with you. He says, suppose... You should die tonight and appear before God. And he should ask, what right do you have to come into my heaven? What would you say? Jackie, you can come. You didn't have to answer the question. But I caught you talking to Merp. What would you say, Jackie? All right, good answer. <laughs> but there's three possible answers here. Many would say, the first answer is, many would say, I'm a good person. I've done the best I can, and I'm better than the guy down the street. Pretty common answer, isn't it? Barnhouse would point out, that's an appeal to one's record. But then he would go on to say that our record is one of sin and thus by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. 
Romans chapter 3, 20 and then 23, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Then verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, it's our record (laughs) that God is in trouble in the first place. And our record is not going to get us out of the trouble. We're in trouble. Our record says we're sinful. So the second answer is one of silence. There is no answer or justification to be given. Both of these would leave the person hopeless and damned for eternity. Both of these answers would be require casting out into utter darkness forever and ever. The third and only right answer is this. I have no justification on my own accord. It's only because of the blood of Jesus. I've asked him to forgive me of my sins, and it's by his forgiveness and mercy that I, stand, that I dare stand before you, Father. I accept your invitation, and I'm wearing your clothes, and I'm wearing the wedding garments. This is the answer that God accepts. Have you accepted the invitation? Have you accepted his invitation? And most importantly, do you have on the wedding garments? Have you clothed yourself with the righteousness that comes only through the blood of Christ? And if you have, are you keeping your garments clean? Are they spotless? Or are they stained with sin and compromise of the world? How do you do that? How do you keep your clothes clean? We live in a dirty world. We live in a world full of compromise and sin and, and, and many things that would tempt us to soil our clothing. How do we do this? We repent. Every morning, every day, you get up in the morning and say, Father, I'm choosing you again. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm not getting saved again. I'm just washing my clothes. I'm just cleaning the garments that you've given me. I'm putting on righteousness. I'm taking every thought captive in my mind. I'm not allowing temptation to settle in on pornography or or anything else, drugs, alcohol. I'm not going there. I'm not self-medicating myself anymore because I'm putting on the clothing of righteousness and I'm coming and standing before you by, by your grace only and by your mercy only that you're healing me, you're making me a new person. And with that, I have the rights to come into the kingdom of heaven. I have the right to be at the wedding banquet. And here is the fact, Jesus will receive you if you come that way. But it's only that way. It's only that way. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we come to you this morning, and God, we have many ways to justify ourselves. And I'm not saying that we're sinful, evil people. I'm just saying even Christians do this. Even followers of Christ. We can get so much Bible knowledge, we can get so much head knowledge in our head, but yet, God, we've somehow kept it from getting in our heart. 
we've somehow put a barrier up of really believing what we know to be true. We can, we can recite the scriptures. We can quote many passages. We can read many prayers. But somehow they haven't gotten to my heart. Father, help me to put on the wedding clothes today. <laughs> help me to put on your garments today. Wash me. Cleanse me. Purify my heart. Help me to put on the wedding garments. This morning, if you're struggling in that area, I'd like to pray with you. And most importantly, Jesus wants to reach out to you. He wants, he's got the garments hanging on a, hanging on a hanger. He's, he's bringing them to you right now, and he said they'll fit you. One size fits all, and when you put it on, it's perfect. So this morning, while your eyes are closed and you're considering this, if you have a need, if you need us to pray with you, and most importantly, if you want Jesus to know your heart, lift your hand to him. And say, Father, I need to be clothed again. Wash me, cleanse me. My, my clothes have gotten a little stained here. Maybe I've never put them on in the first place. And I know most of us here in this room today already have wedding garment clothes on, but yet I don't know your hearts and your lives through the weeks. Don't know your secrets. We all have them. Father, purify our hearts. I would ask you all to stand with me if you would. I think all of us can do this. I think all of us need to pray a prayer of, Father, renew me. Renew a new heart within me. Father, cleanse us. Just pray something like this in your own words. Father, forgive me today. Cleanse my heart today. Lord, clean the clothes that you've given me. Lord, help me to wear them willfully, joyfully. Help me to express my love for you, the fact that I am happy to put on the garments of praise. I'm happy to put on the garments of righteousness. Forgive me when I haven't. Forgive me for the moments that I've failed you this week. Sometimes in acts of omission, sometimes in acts of commission. But Father, I haven't been perfect. And so I come to you today and I ask you to cleanse me. Wash me anew. Give me a new garment, a clean garment. So God, when we stand together face to face, and we all know, none of us know when that's going to be, that you look to me and you say, well done, thou good and faithful. Well done. I have a home prepared for you. And it's awesome. And you're going to be excited to see it. I want that so much. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your faithfulness. Stay standing. Let's sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing. And if you want to pray, the altars are open.
Father, we just come to you this morning. Folks, listen, if you need to come to the altar, now is the right time. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you just need help. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay to know that. We're here to pray for you. We're here to pray with you. We're here to support you. We're here to build you up, not tear you down. So after I pray, I'm going to hang out here for a few minutes. And those that want to pray, I'll be here. Father, we just come to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the worship that we had today. I thank you for the prayer time we had today. God, I I feel it was all inspired today. It was such a powerful time of being in your presence today. I thank you for your servants that were so faithful in giving and singing every word that was said and sung today. Father, we just come now and we just, as we prepare to go into our homes and we go back into our place of business and life, God, I just pray your protection over us. I pray, Father, that you would just cover this people with your blood. I pray blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And God, that we would just have us focus on who you are and all that you have for us and of us. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.